ವಸುಸುತಾಣುರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು So we are studying the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita and there Arjuna asks this important question that this yoga that you have taught which consists ultimately in seeing the same Brahman everywhere, God and everything, uh, Samadarshana, the sameness, the same divine essence everywhere. That's not possible because the mind is fickle. Uh, the fickleness of the mind, it makes meditation impossible and the meditation that you have taught does not work that was his objection it's a question that we all have it's very difficult to handle the mind knowledge that i am brahman it's not very difficult to grasp if you stay with the vedantic teachings for some time you begin to see what they are talking about devotion one wants to be devoted it's such a beautiful thing to be to have devotion for god selflessness one wants to be selfless and one one um, realizes uh, that uh, it is a sign of maturity that selfish pursuits do not ultimately bring uh, lasting happiness any kind of deep fulfillment all of that one understands and one wants that but you know what sabotages the whole thing it's the mind and the crucial problem of the mind is the fickleness of the mind it grasps one thing understands one thing wants it and then next moment it's off somewhere else so arjuna recognizes that pro- uh, problem it's a common problem we all have it and he asks the question and krishna first acknowledges the, that it is a real problem asamshayam mahabaho mano durnigraham chalam this is the 6th chapter 35th verse um, the mind is very difficult it is fickle uh, very difficult to control and it is fickle and uh, krishna acknowledges that having acknowledged it uh, he says however it's not impossible it can actually be done all of us can bring the mind under control uh, and he says how it can be done and we saw this last time abhyasena tu kaunteya vairagyena chagrihate it is brought under control by um, abhyasa that is practice repetition systematic practice one and dispassion this i dwelt on at length last time because it's an important teaching and also on the in the sunday te- uh, class after that the sunday talk i gave meditate better but i just wanted to talk about this abhyasa and vairagya systematic practice core idea there being in one word repetition systematic consistent repetition that can bring the mind under control remember the elephant and the mahut the mahut is the intellect uh, which attends classes and seminars and has a you know has a wow moment and eureka moment understands this wants that very good but the uh, the rest of the mind the lower mind our emotions uh, and our physiological being that's the elephant and that does not respond to brilliant ideas and philosophy papers and uh, best seller you know self help books no what it responds to is systematic training just like the elephant responds to systematic training not to a pep talk um and together with that vairagya dispassion and often this is not taught especially in you know new age spirituality uh, which is very popular here and more so in in california i think um 
uh, the feel-good kind of spirituality. Because uh, we live in a materialistic age and it's considered discouraging to talk about dispassion, renunciation. But it will not work without dispassion or renunciation. And the dispassion and renunciation which is being talked about here is an internal attitude. Not so much what color of cloth you wear, whether you wear uh, the robes of a monk or not. That's secondary. That's just a formality. But what's internal? Internally, one has to be monk-like uh, for a spiritual speak, uh, seeker. The beautiful story about the, the parable of the three drunkards who went uh, on a boat ride and all night they rode. And the next day in the morning, they found they were exactly where they had started because they had forgotten to untie the boat. They had forgotten to untie the boat, the boat is firmly anchored to the shore. Even if you keep rowing, it won't work. It won't take you anywhere. Just like that. Uh, ultimately, all efforts at meditation will not work if the mind is anchored to the world. In How is the mind anchored? What's the rope that ties the mind? These uh, delusionary seekings, you know, that this kind of pleasure, this kind of achievement, this kind of accumulation will make my life worthwhile. And we might ask, won't it? No. It hasn't so far. Just think about it. You're 20 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, 80 years old. Has it worked? No. The only things which have worked, which have given you lasting um, uh, you know, peace and um, you feel happy about it. One, whatever that we have done for others, the least bit that you have done for others, without any selfish motive, any kind, the, the least altruistic action that we have done, that gives lasting peace of mind. It's very interesting. I work for my own happiness, and that just leaves me with no happiness and a bitter taste in my mouth. But I work for the happiness of others. It's counterintuitive. Work for the happiness of others, that leaves me with lasting uh, satisfaction. As time goes by, you will look back, you will look back upon the little things that we have done for others, the money that we have given for good causes, um, the uh, selfless acts that we have done in life, whatever we have done. If you remember it, look back upon it, you, it will always be with fulfillment, with satisfaction. The moments of peace, um, the moments of devotion, that you know, where the soul is given up in prayer to the Almighty, to the Lord. If you have wept for God, if you have prayed to God with all your heart, not for little things, uh, for devotion, for God, those are the things which give last, lasting satisfaction. The deepest moments of meditation, profound meditation, that will give lasting satisfaction. And if, if we have had any intuition of our real nature, that, all, of course, ultimately, that's the, uh, the greatest thing. So, what gives us lasting satisfaction, lasting happiness? It is karma yoga. It is bhakti yoga. It is uh, dhyana yoga, meditation, and ultimately jnana yoga. Yoga gives lasting satisfaction, not bhoga. Bhoga means the uh, enjoyment or the experiencing the world through the senses otherwise. Um, why is dispassion necessary? Why won't these objects of the senses give pleasure, to, we give lasting happiness to us? So Shankaracharya, in his commentary, different places, but Kathopanishad we were reading recently. In the Kathopanishad commentary, Shankara says, um, Anityatvat, Asaratvat, Adi, etc. 
Anitya means because they're impermanent, transient, ephemeral. That's why these things uh, are of no lasting value. They don't last. And we discussed, you know, in other classes we've discussed. So what is it that uh, if it's something doesn't last, what's wrong with it? And I give the example of a cookie. Do you want a cookie which is eternal or a cookie which lasts a few seconds? So you want a cookie which lasts a few seconds. What's the problem if it doesn't last? The, the problem is this. All these um, sense objects, which give us some amount of pleasure and satisfaction, as they go away, um, the pleasure, the satisfaction also disappears very fast. And then we still persist. We are still there. And we are left with nothing. Possessions go away at one time or they become unsatisfying. People go away. Um, our achievements fade away. And then we are left with nothing, a feeling of emptiness. If it, get, if it left, everything left and left you fulfilled. Yes, I've done everything in life. I'm perfectly contented and happy. And not for one moment. It's deep, profound. It can't happen. That doesn't happen. So tr the transience, the ephemerality of things is a very big cause why one should have dispassion for them. Second is because it is uh, asara, empty. Uh, there is nothing profound there. The more we try to enjoy things in the world, the more thirsty we become. You know, there is no, it does not have the capacity, the world does not have the capacity to quench our spiritual hunger. The third Shankaracharya just says in one place, etc. Etc. would mean bandhakattva, for example, the ability to bind us. So it's like an addiction. Whether it is possession or money or relationships or you know, addictions and obsessions from mild to extreme. And we are tied. The more you hold on to anything in the world, your possessions, your, um, it could be gadgets, clothes, it could be people, father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, children, grandchildren. The more you hold on tightly, the more you are bound. See, you will be dragged through the mess of samsara. One can always do good to others and be a well-wisher without being uh, caught in... Uh, the moment you're caught in their lives, they will drag you through the mess of their lives also. So, bandhakattva, and then uh, the, uh, at the craving which is generated. I get the iPhone 6, and very soon it is no longer satisfying, then the iPhone 7 or iPhone 8, and then I'm not against iPhone, whatever it is, any object of the senses, it creates an addiction. After some time, that is not satisfying. Not only do you want that again, you more of it you want, more varieties of that, more sophisticated, more um, uh, you know, uh, intricate, uh, more expensive varieties of that, whether it's gadgets or vacations or houses, um, whatever it is. It is addictive, it is binding. Because of these reasons, uh, these are the faults with, with uh, materiality. They are not their faults. That's the very nature of the world. But what we demand from them that's our fault. We demand a deep, lasting happiness from the world, which it cannot give. It was not designed to give that. Um, so, because of this, one must have dispassion. One must develop. It's no use saying, have dispassion. You think like this. Dispassion is already the maturity brings some dispassion for the world.
some understanding maturity brings dispassion increase that dwell upon um, our where we get stuck our own attachments our own uh, weaknesses dwell upon it and we begin to see the utter worthlessness of those things especially in contrast to the possibility that one may actually realize god in this life that one may actually become enlightened what a wonderful opportunity it's krishna says to arjuna a different context here earlier in the bhagavad gita he says um sarga dwaram apavritam without any effort on your part part the g- gates of heaven have been opened to you you just have to walk through this is spiritual life so vairagya so two things are necessary to bring the mind under control systematic practice repetition abhyasa and dispassion untie the boat vairagya untying the boat um sri ramakrishna also gives the example of a water pot we put water but there are holes in it it leaks out similarly the mental energy is limited so if the mind is hankering after half a dozen different things there are like half a dozen little holes in the mind and the, your psychic energy is pouring out of that it will not um, meditation will not be deep another example he gives of being attached to the world lack of vairagya lack of dispassion he says there is this um, uh, mongoose which is trying to l- leap through a hole in the wall but it can't because some naughty mischievous boys have tried a tied a brick they have um, they've tied a brick now mongoose has a long bushy tail so they have tied a brick to its tail the moment it tries to jump through the weight of the brick pulls it down on the other side so it can't pass through and um, i suppose it's a tricks mischievous boys in villages might have played that's where sri ramakrishna must have seen such things uh, but we our condition is like that a brick ties us to this world and we f- keep falling back into this world we can't jump through and therefore krishna says in the 36th verse asangyatatmana yogo dushprapa iti me mati vashyatmana tu yatata shakyo vaptum upayata um for one whose mind is not controlled i consider yoga hard to attain but it is attainable by one whose mind is under control and who strives through the prescribed means mind not under control the sanskrit words he uses asangyat asangyata atmana um here atma does not mean the self does not mean satchidananda the ultimate reality it just means the mind uh, shankara comments antakarana the inner instrument mind intellect memory ego manobuddhi jitta ahankara that one that complex the inner instrument which we have if that is not controlled controlled how the commentator says look back on the earlier verse controlled uh, abhyasa vairagya abhyam by the combination of repeated practice and dispassion for the world for things and people in the world again remember things and people in the world dispassion doesn't mean you have to throw everything out you know garage sale uh, i'm a developed dispassion uh, and kick people out of the house i've developed dispassion for you no in fact you can handle yourself much better in samsara if you have that detachment much better otherwise you are the one who gets hurt continuously you are the one who gets you know mixed up in that mess so abhyasa and vairagya by 
um, dispassion by pra systematic practice and dispassion. If this is not done, then the mind will not come under control. Oh, Arjuna, what you said, the mind is difficult to control, that will remain. Yoga, Dushprapa. Then the spiritual realization which I talked about, that is very difficult. That Then that becomes really difficult. And look at Shang, uh, Krishna's humility. Iti me matihi. This is my opinion. This is my understanding. You may do whatever you like. He always he says, you can try it out. Lead a righteous life. Lead a life of uh, you know, complete engagement in the world. Uh, and uh, partying day and night. And then come and try to meditate. Won't work. This is my humble opinion. But if by dispassion and repeated practice, you will find the mind calms down, then it is easily brought under control. Then if you engage it in Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana, come to Vedanta class, think about it, and then stay with what you have understood, it will all work. He says, Shakya Vaptam Upayata. Upayata means by the teaching which I have given. It's not that if I have this passion and I, I sit down regularly to meditate, I'll become enlightened immediately. No, no. The, the Vedanta, the knowledge has to be there. This knowledge which is given by, which is uh, acquired by uh, hearing, reflection, meditation, that has to be followed. But this is the preliminary preparation. Without this, those things won't work. Can somebody raise a hand? Did somebody raise a hand? Okay. Hmm. All right. Then Arjuna asks another very important question. Question is something that it's in our hearts, but um, we we hesitate. Sometimes we are ashamed to ask it, but we fear this. Suppose, the question is this, suppose I do not attain enlightenment in this life. I understand, ultimately everybody will attain God realization and all that, that's very great. But suppose I don't. I sort of get the nagging feeling that I won't. It's probably, <laughs> I'm not advanced enough, it's probably too difficult. And Arjuna asks that, he says that, I understand what you're saying. And I believe it. I sort of believe that it's possible that there exists this ultimate enlightenment. I can see that there are very great enlightened people in history and we read about that. I have also met maybe some holy people and it would. I also believe that one can achieve that status and I would also like to be like that, but that uh, I fear that I won't. I fear that I won't be able to do it. Then what happens to me? What will happen to me? So he asks this. This is a very profound question. Very, very, um, a question asked with a lot of feeling. This is about the ultimate aims of life and the ultimate destiny. We don't know beyond death. We're at the point of death if nothing has been achieved. I don't feel that I have achieved anything very deep. Then, then what? So this is the question he's going to ask. A very beautiful question. Arjuna Vacha Ayati Shraddhayo Peto Yoga Chalita Manasa Aprapya Yoga Sam Siddhim Kamgatim Krishna Gachati 
Arjun asked. He who, though endowed with faith, strives not, and whose mind wanders from yoga, failing to attain the fruition of yoga, what goal, O Krishna, does a person attain? Notice what he says. This person who does not reach God-realization, does not get enlightenment, satori, bodhi, whatever you call it, does not in this life. It doesn't work. But this person believes in it. Ayati, uh, he says, Shraddhayopeta. This person has firm faith. This person actually believes. God exists. Enlightenment is possible. Uh, I know if I try hard enough, even I can get enlightenment. All those things I understand. And I, I, am, I believe it also. After believing all this, he says, uh, um, suppose I don't try hard enough. I have this sort of feeling in the back of my mind that I won't try hard enough. I have not been trying hard enough and probably it won't happen in this life. If I had that feeling. And then I, at the end of my life, my mind has wandered away from yoga. Literally, it literally means at the point of death, I'm not thinking about God. My mind is not centered in deep meditation or I'm not centered in my real nature. I am Brahmasmi. My mind is not like that at the point of death. Then what will be the, the destiny? Gati here, goal means destiny of such. What will happen to such a person, O Krishna? And what's behind him in, in his mind is the traditional um, Vedic, you know, the follower of the Vedic religion, householder, would perform in the due course of their religious life various kinds of rituals. And it was promised that at the end of your life, if you have performed these rituals, you are assured of heaven at the end of your life. You go to certain heaven, depending on your karma, the good karma you have done. And you stay for a good time, long period of time there, maybe many, many years. And then you come, you're assured of a good birth in the next life. Now, Krishna said, you don't need to do all that. You give up all those um, uh, uh, you know, rituals and which are meant for this world or next world. Dispassion. Vairagya means vairagya. Dispassion for all of that. The trying to get good things in this world. Trying to attain a heavenly life after death. Vairagya. Dispassion for all of that. Vivekananda. He was so shocking to people here in the late 19th century when he came here. In one place he tells this gentleman, I have not come here to teach you how to go to heaven. I have come here to teach you how to stop going to heaven. Imagine how shocking it must have been for a Christian audience in that time. So, what is this stop going to heaven? What kind of heaven is meant here? Not the highest heaven, but the presence of God. That's different. But this, uh, the idea that's there, that a multiple heavens are there, which are attainable by good karma. They are also temporary. And after that, you again come back. All those things are given up by the spiritual seeker. We, we are not pursuing those things anymore. We want only enlightenment. We want freedom from the cycle of birth and death. Not a, um, not a nice um, you know, cycle of birth and death. Nice births and nice places in heaven. Not that. We want freedom from the entire cycle. But having given up those rituals, not having performed those things anymore, not pursuing the worldly life with full ambition also. People ask this question. I lose interest and ambition in things in the world. I mean, it's enough if I do well and just get by. That's fine. I don't, I'm not seriously interested in running the rat race anymore. And what's the point? Even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. So I understand that and I don't want to do it anymore. 
But now Arjun asks, having not done that in this life, not being ambitious and uh, you know acquisitive and um, greedy and uh, like all other people, I've given up all that. And I have not done those Vedic rituals which will take me to heaven after death. Then have I lost everything? Because I have not attained God realization also. So after that, what will happen to me? I have not done the good karma which will take me to um, heaven. And I have not become enlightened. So I will not get moksha. And then what will happen after that? Or what life, life will I be born to? I don't have good karma. Will I be born as an animal or what? Or is there nothingness for me? So he sees... I don't, you're asking me to give up this worldly life and the pursuit of heaven after death. And what you are trying, tr telling me to do, um, meditation, selfless service, devotion, and the pursuit of self-realization, I may not succeed. So that is the question. She elaborates, 38. Kaschinno ubhaya vibhrashta, chinna brahmivanashyati, apratishtho mahabaho, vimudho brahmhanapati. Does he not, does he not, O mighty armed one, fallen from both and without any support, perish like the detached cloud, being deluded in the path of Brahman? Pursuing this highest goal of humanity, I am fully convinced. God realization is the goal of human life. And I'm going to try. But I don't suppose I don't succeed. And I've not done the worldly things other people are doing. After death, where is the guarantee that I'll go to heaven? What will happen to me? I'm not getting enlightenment and spiritual freedom. So like a cloud, he says, um, the autumn cloud, it doesn't, it's not part of a mass of rain clouds. It will not give rain. It just dissipates into the vast blue sky. Am I lost like that? A cloud separated from the mass of clouds. Chinna Brahma. A, 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 a separated cloud, like a little patch of cloud. Just dissipates into the sky. Will I be just lost on, on both sides? Am I going to be a loser? Worldly state and spirituality also. Both I have lost. So that's the question. I want us to appreciate the pain behind this question, you know, that with so much of uh, hope, we set out on the spiritual path. And uh, whether it's devotional, that I want to see God in this life before I die, I've been promised that it's possible. Or it's the path of uh, knowledge, I really want to realize, I'm being told that I'm not this limited, miserable, puny little creature. I'm infinite existence and consciousness. Um, can I not experience that? Can I not realize that? With so much hope we set out. And the possibility that nothing will come of it. I had said this earlier. Um, I can take the name now. This gentleman, very devout gentleman, whom I met at the beginning of my monastic life, Badul Babu. He was in the ashram where I joined the order in Deoghar, in India. And... Uh, he had, uh, so there's a story about him I heard from a senior monk. He used to visit Swami Premeshanji in his youth, this gentleman, this elderly gentleman whom I met. And he was very interested in spiritual life, in monks and in uh, spiritual practices. He used to visit many monks and uh, spiritual 
practitioners, you know, sadhus, tantrics, and so on. And he would read about them. And he would come excitedly and tell these stories to Swami Premeshananda. That monk, you know, he has such powers. Or that monk, you know, he has these practices. Uh, or that monk has such wonderful, or that meditator or that tantric has such wonderful experiences. One day, when he was excitedly talking about some such uh, spiritual master, Swami Premeshanji said, um, very heartfelt, very touching words. I'll tell you in Bengali first, and I'll translate into English. In, uh, he said, Ore Badla, in, in Bengal, uh, he was affectionately used to call Badal Babu Badla. Ore Badla, Jodi Shara Jagotai Ramkeshto Hoejai. If the whole, um, he says, my boy, if the whole world, everybody becomes not just a spiritual seeker or a great yogi or something, everybody becomes equal to Ramakrishna. Suppose all, we are all surrounded by avatars, which is so amazing. Suppose, it's unthinkable, but suppose that happens. But still, at the end of our lives, you don't realize anything at all. I don't realize anything at all. Ultimately, what good is it to you or me? If we pass away from this life without having any of it, a little bit, the tiniest bit of it ourselves, if something solid and profound for ourselves, you don't get it, then what's the point? That what's the use ultimately? I'm sure it's great to meet such wonderful people and read about them and think about it. It's all good. But ultimately, at the point of death, we must get something for ourselves. Um, there is this song which is very haunting. It's a song by Rabindranath Tagore, which says um, that if my Lord, my beloved Lord, if I do not get your vision in this life, this time in this life, if I do not see you. So it's a very touching song. Let me, I, I got the lyrics from the internet. Let me read out the Bengali just so that it's easier for me to translate. But this is, this is the feeling behind Arjuna's question, actually. So let me just read. And those who know Rabindra Sangeet, they know some of the best uh, singers have sung this song. Jodi tumar na prabhu, Let me read out the lines. And it's by the great poet Rabindranath Tagore. Um, and translate. It's very moving. Jodi tumar na prabhu, My Lord, if I do not get thy vision if I do not see thee this time in this life. That means, you know, this time around, this time in this life, I've come to this world and I go away from this world without seeing you. Then let me remember, at least give me this much, that let me remember that I have not got thee. I, I did not get you. Let me at least have that memory in the next life that I failed to get you. Jano bhule na jai, let me not forget that I failed to get you. Bedona pai shoyone shapone. Let me not forget means what? I'm not even asking for memories of past lives. Let me just be haunted by a spiritual pain in my, in my dreams. Let me be haunted by pain in my dreams that I did not get you, oh God. In this marketplace of the world, this world is a marketplace, like a supermarket. 
or you have to think of an Indian market, which is very busy and, uh, um, you know, dusty and lots of people and lots of goods are being sold and bought and people are shouting and there's a huge tumult going on. Samsara is like that in the marketplace of this world. Amar jatoi duhad bhore othe dhane. No matter how much, with both hands, I grasp and acquire things in this world. Money and people and achievements, memories, selfies, whatnot. I keep on accumulating in this world. No matter how much I accumulate of all sorts of things in this world. Let me remember, let me never forget that I really haven't got anything at all. None of this, whatever we have got in this world, it's all nothing. It's all zero, zero, zero. And spiritual, not spiritual, we will all realize it. Even if we don't think about it that way, at the end of our lives, we'll realize everything that pertains to this world will go away. Will without any remnant whatsoever. I know we say we at least samskaras will go with us, but we don't know the samskaras. As far as we know, everything will go away. So let me remember that I have not got anything at all, no matter how much I may accumulate in this world. Let me not forget, let me let me suffer this pain in my dreams, in my sleep. If on this path of life, life is a road. So on this path of life, if out of carelessness, out of laziness, heedlessness, I lay down to sleep on the path, forgetting that it's a path and being very happy and then, then, then forgetting my spiritual goals. I, I, in the, it literally means I make my bed in the dust of the path. I stop walking down the path. Um, let me not, let me remember that all the paths are still waiting for me. I have not walked down them. What it means is, have I become um, completely selfless? My tears in my eyes for the pain of others, you know, the, the heart that Vivekananda had. Is my heart full of bhakti, devotion, like Meera's heart? Uh, is, uh, can I meditate deeply, like Vivekananda attained samadhi? Uh, is, do I have, uh, you know, full of jnana, the realization of Brahman, like Ramana Maharshi? All those are left. I have not even achieved a tiny bit of it. All those paths are remaining to be walked. Let me not forget. If I, if I am very confident and happy in this world and I say everything's going well and settle down, that's lying down in the dust of the world confidently, forgetting that it's, it's a path to be walked. Jatoi uthe hashi, ghare jatoi baje bashi, ogo jatoi griho sajai ayojane, jano tomai ghare haini ana, shekatha roi bone. Let there be as much laughter in this world. Let the life be full of laughter. Let there be song and dance and music. When one is reminded of Nachiketa, who told Yama that, keep your song and dance and music. I don't want it. Let my life be full of song. And it said, let, let, let the flute play. Let the, you know, the, the music of life, let it play. Um, let me decorate my house with all care. That means my life. 
you know, I, with all care, uh, degrees and uh, achievements in career and, uh, um, you know, husband, wife, children, grandchildren. This is decorating my life, filling it up with possessions, memories, achievements. Uh, so I, I uh, fill my house. House means my life. I fill my house with all of this, with so much care. Let me remember, let me not forget that I have not invited thee into my house. Only one thing has not come into my house is you, my Lord. Uh, let me not forget. Let me suffer this pain in my dreams and sleep in lives to come. So what a very haunting uh, thing, uh, this song. And this is the feeling behind Arjuna's question. He concludes his question with a prayer to Krishna that you can answer this uh, for me. Please tell me what will happen to me. Um, the avatar knows, even ordinary spiritual teachers may not know, but the avatar knows who we are, what our past lives ha have been and where we are going. He knows. At one place in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna suddenly, without, seems to be without context, turns to M, the author, and says, suddenly, tell me, I know all your past and your future, do I not? And what comes over M, he bows down humbly and he says, yes, Lord, you do. You know. <laughs> I don't know, but you know. Um, Etan me samshayam krishna chetum arhasya sheshata twadanya samsayasyasya cheta nahyopapadyate This doubt of mine, O Krishna, you should dispel in its entirety. For there is none else but you who can remove this doubt. None else. No pandit can answer this. No, even highly spiritual people may not have any answer to this. They can tell us what the books say. That's it. Um, but you can tell me, really, you know what is going to happen to me. Tell me. One monk, wonderful reminiscence of Swami Brahmananda. Swami Brahmananda also had these powers. Um, he says, one day Swami Ramananda asked me to press his feet, massage his feet, and he was lying down, and this monk was massaging his feet. And when I touched his body, he says, strange kind of stupor came over me. And I seemed to lose um, outward awareness, even the inner sense of personality. And when I came to it, I saw Swami Brahmananda was sitting up keenly looking at my face and asking me some things. And I was answering. I don't know what he was asking me and what I was saying so fluently, so eloquently. The moment I became aware of this, uh, Swami Brahmananda seemed to um, lose interest. Swami Brahmananda seemed to lose interest and he lay back again on, on the bed. He was asking uh, the little bit this, this monk remembered. He was asking me about who I really am, where I have come from my past lives and what is it that I'm going to do in this life. It seems so at some deeper level, we know all these things. But uh, the moment I became conscious of it, Swami Brahmananda lost all interest in what I was saying and he lay back on the bed again. Um, missed, did I miss? Uh, Thirty-eight? No, I, I think I, I talked about it. Kaschidno Vibhrashta. Um, Chinna Brahmi Vanashyati, the cloud, remember the cloud, which is uh, 
right? No? Anuradha doesn't agree. Uh, so uh, we did that. I talked about the cloud, which is uh, um, which is separated from the masses of clouds and then it disappears. Yeah. And uh, then Arjuna says, um, we, you have to settle this doubt. You have to tell me. You, you know what happens to me in, in, in this life and in future. Then Krishna gives a very um, wonderful answer, very reassuring answer. This next few verses are great you know, sources of confidence for every one of us. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Patha Naivehana Mutra Vinashastasya Vidyate Nahi Kalyanakrit Kaschit Durgatim Tata Gachati. The Blessed Lord said, Verily, neither here nor hereafter, O Partha, is there destruction for him, for the doer of good, my child, never comes by evil. What a reassurance. God himself is saying, don't worry. You, you, we will not lose anything. You are far better placed than anybody else in this world, even the most devout religious person. He says, Kalyanakrit, the one who walk, walks on the path of the supreme good. Remember how the Shreya and the prayer in the Katopanishad, the path of the good and the path of the pleasant. Giving up the path of the pleasant, walk on the path of good. Giving up worldliness, walk on the path of spirituality. You have no loss at all. Neither in this world, nor in future. Even, he'll say, even if you do, do not attain enlightenment now, you will attain enlightenment. But even if you do not attain enlightenment, there's absolutely no loss for you. You get the best of everything. Iha nam amutra. Amutra means in heaven. In this world also, you will not lose anything because you are assured of, he will tell later what you will get. And also heaven. Even if you have not done all those rituals, good karma, which can take you to heaven, what you have done, he says, Kalyanakrit, you have walked on the path of spirituality. That's more than enough to give you, at the very least, heaven, even if you don't get enlightenment. All that others achieve, you will get everything. And we have seen this in many cases, not always, but in many cases in this world itself. Spiritual seekers often say, whatever I could have wished for, it just happens. I just get whatever I want. It, things just happen that way. And I wouldn't have got it otherwise. But all my desires have generally been fulfilled in this world. I really There's nothing more I could ask for. Um, my child, he addresses him very uh, affectionately. My child, this, uh, this person, you, the person walking on this path of spiritual life and unspiritual life, you will never come to a bad end. There will be no harm to you, ultimately. There's harm possible in other ways. The one who follows adharma, who is immoral and not self-controlled, that person uh, suffers in this life and goes to hellish regions in afterlife and suffers and until the bad karma is exhausted. Uh, even those who perform Vedic rituals, big pujas and rituals for worldly purposes, even a slightest mistake there, and then they will not get the result. But here, you walk on the path of spiritual life um, and on the spiritual path, you will always get a good result. What will you get? What will such a person get if you don't get enlightenment? If you get enlightenment, it's done. But if you don't, 
in this life, then what will happen? Um, at death and beyond that, Krishna says, Prapya punya kritam lokan ushitva shashwati samaha shuchinam shrimatam gehe yoga brashto bhijayate. Beautiful verse. Having attained the worlds of the righteous and lived there for many, many years, one who has fallen from yoga is born again in the house of the pure and the prosperous. So, fallen from yoga means has not attained enlightenment. The commentator makes it very clear. Samyak darshanam apraptva. Full enlightenment has not been attained. You have done practices. You have been selfless. You have meditated. You have come to all the Vedanta classes watched all the YouTube lectures and you've been a nice person. Um, then he says, Prapya Punyakritam Loka and all those other people who were doing all those Vedic rituals, you know, the great, great fire sacrifices and all going to heaven, the worlds that they will attain, those highest heavens they attain by those huge, complex, expensive rituals by lifetimes of following dharma, you will attain that. Just because you did, you, you worshipped God, you were selfless, you meditated, you pursued your Vedantic studies. Because of that, you will attain the highest heavens. And those heavens are temporary. So you will remain there, but for a long time you will remain, but the, not permanently. There's no permanence in this world or the next. And then you'll, become, you'll come back. All right. What will happen to me next life? Um, he says, you will be born. This, he calls it yoga prashta. Yoga prashta means one who has not attained the goal of yoga will be born in a good family. You'll have loving parents who are righteous people. Shuchinam, it means pure, the commentator says, who are righteous people. They are moral, ethical. One thing I've noted, among those young men who came to be monks, as I saw um, the few I met, whose parents I met. The parents were of various kinds. Some were very rich, very qualified people. Uh, some were simple village folk, depending on the family where they, these boys came from. But one thing I noted in common, some were interested in spiritual life. Some were not interested in at all in spiritual life. They thought that their son had gone crazy. What is this becoming a monk? But one thing I noted, they were all good people. They were all ethical people. I, I generally don't have a great spiritual seeker coming out of a family of crooks. <laughs> so, they were all, at the very least, they were moral, ethical people. And he says, Srimatam, it will be a prosperous family. You will have no want. Um, things will go your way. You will born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Maybe not millionaires, but uh, definitely you will not suffer from material want in such a family. This is a sign of very great good karma. And all of that you get because you are a spiritual seeker. Even if you don't do anything else. Or, he says, um, the next verse 42. Athava yoginam eva kule bhavati dhimatam etadhi durlabhataram loke or he is reborn even in the family of yogis who are wise. Such a birth is rare in this world. There may be a few. And what is the distinction? He says, the, what I just said, they'll be born in the family of prosperous people, good people, 
uh, in the next life. This is for any spiritual seeker, all of us. There are few who are advanced spiritual seekers um, who have made plenty of progress in this life and for some reason have not attained enlightenment. Such people, a rare few in number, they will be born in a family of yogis. And father and mother will be highly spiritual. Um, he says, yogi nam eva. And the commentator says, they may be poor. <laughs> Very interesting comment, the multiple commentators make. Often we find such highly spiritual parents, they may be materially, they may be of very humble folk, uh, but they'll be deeply spiritual. And he says, such a birth is very rare in this life. Krishna says, such a birth is very rare, rare in this life. It's very valuable, extraordinarily valuable. Why is it valuable to be born to parents who are deeply spiritual? Um, the commentator says, moksha hetatva. Enlightenment and liberation is guaranteed if you are born in such a family. In this, this is the last life for you. Of course, you are already a spiritual seeker in past births and you have such parents, which shows, I think, what importance of parents, what our fathers and mothers do to us is, is something that we actually discovered a lot in the 20th century, especially here in the United States, you know, thanks to Freud and Jung and the importance of the effect of the father, the mother, especially mother, on the child. The nature of the father and the mother, nature of the family life we get, it has a huge impact on the child. Yes, we all come with past samskaras. An enormous impact is made by how we are dealt with, what kind of environment we grew up in, um, which is thanks to our family. So the kind of environment that this child already with good samskaras from past lives, a spiritual practitioner, and now finds a home where the father and mother from childhood, you see, they are, uh, they are spiritual seekers. And he says, this is a, a rare, this is rare birth, is rare in this world indeed. And you see this in the lives of many great uh, spiritual masters. Um, Second. So the commentator says, Moksha In such a life, we are guaranteed that, uh, that with such a birth, one will get enlightenment in this very life. Of course, it's not essential that if your parents are spiritual, you're going to be spiritual. There are some cases. You know, I've seen among those young men who came to be monks, in most cases, the parents were very unhappy. They came and uh, they would yell at us for you know, kidnapping their kids. They're all grown-up people. But, so, but in the rare case, I've seen um, mother, very uh, spiritual, but, and so wants the child to be a monk, the boy to be a monk, and put, comes and puts the boy in the, in the monastery. And the boy is not at all interested. It's a torture for the kid to be a monk. So those are rare and few funny incidents. Um, but in most cases, you see the parents are uh, spiritual, which are very rare, and the children also spiritual. There's a wonderful thing, wonderful to see. Then what happens for such a person? And that we will read next time. Let me see if there are questions here.
what is the difference between vairagya dispassion and uparati does this thing from worldly pleasures how do the two differ in practice vairagya is a dispassion a deep realization it's a sign of intelligence yama the lord of death tells nachiketa he praises nachiketa that you have great dispassion and the commentator shankaracharya says this is a hallmark of spiritual intelligence dispassion for you know the, this worldly pursuits but uparati is a discipline it's one of the six treasures six fold treasures the discipline of not being too entangled in worldly engagements rati means where all my senses flow out into the world uparati means pulling it back so the eyes want to see many things the ears want to hear many pleasant things hand wants pleasant touch nose wants pleasant uh, fragrance the tongue wants to taste pleasant things to hold it back that is uparati it's a deliberate conscious practice Prabhupada Basu, doesn't this question come up again in the 12th chapter? Yes, in another form. Gaurav says, in the waking state, I think I've gotten at least intuitive understanding of Advaita Vedanta and understood it to be a fact. But I remember some of my dreams. It seems that this knowledge does not carry over to the dream state. Sometimes it appears that it is at the level of the mind and will get lost after death. True, true. Do Jeevan Mukta see themselves as pure consciousness in all three states? Waking, dreaming and deep sleep. will we feel at some point in our life that some of this knowledge will exist in all the three states yes but one has to be careful there what will happen is when one makes a breakthrough and i see i am the witness of this body mind i am the consciousness which illumines the waking dreaming and deep sleep one will see that one no longer depends on the mind for this anymore even the mind has certain dreams and is not thinking that i am the witness consciousness does not matter notice that i feel i am the witness consciousness this is a thought in the mind this is a kind of understanding in the mind as long as i feel dependent on that the breakthrough has not happened yet it's a kind of understanding but i feel i have to understand that and i have to remain with that understanding stay like that think about that meditate on that good you're on the right track but this is not the breakthrough breakthrough will be a clear separation you see that i am not at all dependent on the mind let the mind think what it will it is nothing to me that i am really not the mind that that clarity will come then you are not so worried about what the mind does or does not do in the deep sleep in deep sleep of course it doesn't do anything in the dream also now still the question persists does an enlightened person have this knowledge in dreams also the answer is yes by deep nidhi dhyasana by the practice of samadhi and staying with this enlightenment it becomes our mind becomes so impregnated with these seeds of enlightenment that they that they blossom not only in the waking also in the dream whenever the mind functions that clarity is there so that is a per, the state of a jivan mukta but remember that jivan mukta i will not go into details it it is dependent on three things tattva gyana vasanakshaya manonasha tattva gyana is the enlightenment i am brahman i am the turiya sakshi the vasanakshaya is the the culmination of vairagya this dispassion for the world to its um, highest and manonasha literally does not mean destruction of the mind it means merging the mind in samadhi samadhi must have been attained once these are done 
you will see when you let the mind function afterwards, all the time that clarity will remain. Just as, just as right now, we have this clarity <laughs> that I am the body mind. This delusion is so clear now for me that I am this one. It does not take any, take any effort. Whenever the mind is functioning, it's functioning as if I am body mind. That clarity will come uh, if Jivan Mukti is attained. Then, you like the translation of the song? Yes, thank you. That translation was uh, my own um, free translation as I was reading it out. Then, um, Sri says, is it not God's will that we reach the goal? It's always God's will that we reach the goal. But in the sense that God wants us to reach the goal. But it also, um, uh, do we want it? As long as we don't seriously want it, when we want it and we do spiritual practices and we reach the goal, all of it is God's grace. But until we want it, we will not reach. Even if God wants us to reach, ultimately we have to go through these experiences in life till we seriously, seriously want it. Bengali, we say Tar Gauraj for his own reasons. We read in the gospel, Thakur was seeking our people and even showing up at their homes. Does he not look for us to put us on the course also? Absolutely. We are, we are answering the same call um, which Sri Ramakrishna gave. The direct disciples were far ahead uh, in the path and we are following in the same path. Nirjari says, if a child is born to such parents, the child tries to follow the path, does not succeed. What does that say? That the child is still burning his, his or her own past karma? Maybe. But what exactly the child will do after being born in such a family? Those are the next two verses. Very interesting verses. And you see that in the lives of people who are spiritual from the childhood itself. Glory, is it possible the child could be born into a family to redeem the parents? Both ways. If you have really good karma, you will get such a child and the child will be a blessing to you. We have this saying in India that if a, a person uh, becomes a monk, um, then seven generations are liberated. Not only your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, back to seven generations. Now, this is what is called Arthavada. Arthavada means you don't take it literally. It's like an advertisement. So, you don't take an advertisement literally. It just means this is a great thing. This is a wonderful thing. It just means when, what Americans say when they meet, when they say, wow, awesome. <laughs> uh, so it's a very good thing. It's a great blessing. If somebody in your family, in your lineage, it's literally becoming a monk is one thing, but actually seriously is a spiritual seeker. And it becomes a monk, great, formally, but even if not that, is a dedicated spiritual seeker, a sadhaka, a spiritual practitioner, what we call that is a great blessing, not only to that one person, to others also. Um, I had this very interesting experience. I'll just mention it to you this time. I was wondering after my um, getting my vows of monasticism, becoming a sannyasi, this was in 2004. After going to the Himalayas and I came down to Haridwar, and um, yes, I was visiting different monks, ashrams, just like that, spiritual tourist. I mean, I was, had my own practice, but I was like a wandering monk, um, often unknown, unrecognized. So one ashram that I went to, 
Bholagiri Ashram. Bengalis will recognize. Bholagiri was a great monk, an enlightened person, Jeevan Mukta. He was Punjabi, but he had many devotees in Calcutta. And there are many Bengalis were his devotees at, uh, some time back in the late 19th century, early 20th century. So I saw that there's a big ashram there and his followers are still there. Now I went there and uh, I vaguely remembered in childhood, my mother had told me that her grandfather's, her grandfather's brother was a disciple of Bholagiri and he was a very dedicated spiritual practitioner. And in the end of his life, he went and stayed in, uh, in Haridwar, in Bholagiri's ashram, in his guru's ashram, and so on. Those things she had told me, I had a very vague memory. So I went there and um, uh, I met a monk of that ashram. And I said, my mother had told me something like this. And that monk said, oh, you belong to that family. And then he showed this very big house. It's called Guru Dham or something. So that was built by your mother's grandfather's brother. And he gave his money for this guru and he built this for them. And now uh, pilgrims stay there. And then he said, um, come uh, with me. He, and he told me that the person you're referring to, your mother's uh, so-and-so, this person, his name was Achalnath Mitra. Come with me. When he took me underground, under that big old uh, that build, building, there was this stone tunnel. And he took me inside a dark tunnel. And then it emerged just on the Ganga, the vast river flowing very fast. There. It's just come down from the Himalayas there. So it's very cold, but um, it's very pure, the water. And on the Ganga, there's a hidden little Shiva ten temple. A little Shiva temple. He said, this is... Uh, where your great-great-grand-uncle, uh, uh, grand whatever it is to you, uh, he lived his last years of his life. And he established this little Shiva temple. This is called Achaleshwar Shiva. We call it after him. The last years of his life, he spent here meditating and worshipping. So he said, you should go and bow down here. And I did. And there's, uh, it's, very, it's very small and it's, it's very quiet. And it's just, you can, from there, you can only see the river and you can't see anything else. Nobody from anywhere else can see that. So it's only that secret tunnel to approach that little temple of Shiva. Now my feeling was, there is something to that seven generations thing. You know? Somewhere, some people have done deep spiritual practice. And as a result, um, you attract these spiritual seekers to your lineage and these spiritual seekers also get the benefit of the great good karma of these past ancestors. That's why in all these traditions, you not only bow down to the saints, but bow down to the spiritual masters, but bow down to your own ancestors. Who knows who at one point, where in hundreds of years ago, were deeply devoted, uh, who wept and prayed to God and um, blessed those who would come after him. And we, we get the benefit of all of that. I never knew this person. I had only the vaguest uh, you know, notion of this person. But you see, so this is an interesting connection. Somebody's doing pranam from Haridwar, Alpana. Oh, I see. <laughs> Very good. Sean Lee says, as a spiritual practice passed from generation to generation, if you are devoted to God, it does. As I just said, 
spiritual practice does not pass good karma the, the blessings pass so your spiritual practice is your own your spiritual progress is your own but we are helped by so many not just family generations teachers gurus your community we are very spiritual at home and dedicated to god and my nephews turn out to be devoted to god we just ask every evening if you've done our prayer or not that's so good that's such a blessing patrick says if someone becomes enlightened it is said that it helps one's ancestors what explains that this is exactly what i was talking about remember seven generations become liberated no seven generations don't become liberated <laughs> they are helped it's good karma that's all okay let's just uh, be a child redeeming their parent bhagwan uh, ramana's mother accepted him as a guru and bhagwan guided her uh, till the end of her life and that she reached the ultimate goal if you have such a son which is jeevan uh, mukta of, of such a high caliber then you are safe that person actually can give you liberation but also means you have such a son means you already yourself are pretty far along in the path you are definitely what in sanskrit we call punyatva uh, a, a jeeva sentient being with a lot of good karma a lot of uh, uh, holy karma done in the past you are already a, a very good soul Mm, okay let's wrap it up here om shante 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna arpanamastu